Welcome to Fintech at Kellogg, a podcast that sheds light on innovative people, ideas, and technologies that are transforming the financial technology landscape as we know it. I'm your host, Shubhendra Agrawal, and I'm really excited to restart this podcast series for the year 2020. We have some exciting new speakers and stories lined up for you, where we will explore the fintech landscape not just in the United States, but all around the world. For our first session today, we sit down with Gex, a Triple M from the class of 2021, to discuss his work at Creditas as a product manager in Brazil. Gex will share about the evolution of the Brazilian economy and consumer preferences that made Creditas a success. Thank you so much for joining us today, Gex, and we are really excited to have you here. Hi, Shub. Thanks for inviting me first. And really happy to be here and share a little bit of my experience. Absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What got you interested in fintech? What has your path been to Kellogg? Okay. First, I think I should give a little bit of context of who I am. My background is in computer engineering. So I always loved technology as a whole. But I had an internship as a developer. I didn't like the job and I realized, okay, it's not for me. So I went to consulting, I worked at McKinsey, focused more on digital topics, but worked in a wide range of industries and sectors and topics. And before coming to MBA, McKinsey allowed me to go for a, what they call 30 year out. So I gave okay. a secondment mm-hmm. in a startup and then I decided that I want, actually they allowed me to work inside McKinsey or in another company and I decided to go for a startup. And then I started like picking my options and I found creditors. And also I thought that I could leverage my background in technology, but also my background working with financial institutions and insurance companies, for example. Okay, awesome. So now talking about your creditors experience specifically, what brought you to creditors and uh, what is what is the story behind creditors? If you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so, uh, being very honest, I had a friend, really close friend who was working there and I went there to almost replace him because he was living for his MBA too. And being honest, the first time I talked to someone at Creditas, I was like really impressed by their cultural aspects, how they deal with like employees. They were really focused on diversity and all of that. And also they were a really mission-driven company. Mm-hmm. So just giving a little bit of context of creditors, they are focused on offering secure loans to, to people just with the focus of lowering interest rate in Brazil that is really, really high. And secure loans, uh, we know that have better interest rates. Yeah, that's very interesting. And if you, if you can take that opportunity to explain what is the macroeconomic context as to why interest rates are so high in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And if you could talk to our listeners a little bit more about that, that would be great. Yeah, sure. So to talk about that, we need to go back to 2014 and stop me at any moment because I really like this topic. So in 2014, Brazil was facing one of the worst recession, um, like in the his- recent history. And also I think this is very tied to the political crisis that we were going through. And this was a like very very bad moment for brazil and what the duma as a president was doing is she was basically like raising the interest rate of brazil like the uh, federal inter- interest rate and so 
to give a sense, we were in a level of 7% in 2012. In 2014, we were almost at 14%, which wow. is insane. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of 2015, she got impeached and Tamer took over and he started doing like some changes, specifically economy. And then the first thing he started doing was decreasing the interest rate. So we saw going from 13 to 12, 10 across the years. And the impact of this was like after the recession in 2014, a lot of small business started bankrupting. A lot of people were like with tons of debt, etc. So it was really a bad moment. And after the impeachment, people start feeling more confident about Brazil. But being honest, it took at least like two years, which was the time Timur was there to we see the economy like recovering. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just out of curiosity, talking about this macro topic, typically when there is a recession in the economy, you would expect the interest rates to actually go down rather <laughs> than go up. Why did they actually go up and what was the reason behind that? Yeah, being honest, I don't know exactly why they were doing this. Maybe because I think there was... So the thing is, inflation started like going up mm -hmm. and they, I think they thought like, okay, let's increase interest rate because the inflation is really high. If you see, I think like in 2006, 2014 or 2015, inflation was like 10% in Brazil. Mm -hmm. I mean, inflation used to be high, like 4%, but 10% is insane. Right. Yeah. And so I think they just thought like, okay, that's the best thing mm -hmm. to do. And after like one year, they realized, okay, yeah. the opposite of right. what we should have done. Okay, that's very interesting. So essentially, in order to combat inflation, they raised interest rates, but you were <laughs> already in a recession. So that made the problems essentially worse. Worse, exactly, <laughs> which is crazy. That That's great. So given that particular macro background, what would you tell us about the borrower journey in this case? So the person who's trying to secure a loan during this period, because mm -hmm. as I understand, Creditas' journey kind of started during this period when the interest rates were relatively very mm -hmm. high. Uh, what did that process look like for someone like me if I was in Brazil and wanted to secure a loan? Okay, so I think the first thing I need to mention is that people didn't know about that at mm -hmm. all. So I think the first problem was like financial education okay. in Brazil. So the main process of a person that was looking for loans, and especially in this time that like was really crazy recession, etc., people would go to the bank and ask for like a loan, and they would offer like the worst products ever. So first thing, if you look like credit card interest rate in Brazil, I'm gonna say this number, and it's crazy, around 300 to 400 percent wow. annually, which is like <laughs> man, come on, crazy. And they used to say, okay we are charging people this amount of interest rate because people don't pay their loans. But of course, because it's too much. Long story short, I think all the products that were in the market were like credit card, etc. And also they had one product, which is called special check, which is pre-approved amount of loan that you can have direct in your bank account. They charge 350% a year. So I think the, the, the main problem is that people didn't know they could just use their car or their, their home as a collateral to get a better right. loan. Is there a historical reason for that as to why people did not do it? Is it or is it just ignorance? Because I find it hard to believe that a phenomena from a financial instrument perspective that's pretty common in most parts of the world mm -hmm. of using some kind of security or property, etc. that you own as a collateral against a loan to not be a common thing in Brazil. Yeah. 
there are two main reasons. First, banks. Mm -hmm. I mean, bank, they didn't want to incentivize their sales managers to sell these better products for customers because they knew if they kept selling like bad products, people would buy. And the second reason, I think people, because of history of Brazil, we became a democracy 30 years ago and people were very afraid of like losing their assets. They like spent a lot. My, my parents, uh, they used to say like, you become like a adult when you bought your, your purchase, mm. your first house. So people wouldn't feel comfortable. Oh, I'm giving your, my house to the bank. Why? Yeah. You know? So I think there's these two sides of yeah. the equation. I think that was great insight to hear about what's the cultural perspective behind getting a secured loan. So kind of coming back to Credit House, tell me the whole journey of how Credit House kind of entered the space and changed this whole process for the general public. Okay, I think Credita's story history is very tied to its founder, Sergio. So giving a little bit of background about him, he's Spanish. He worked at BCG in total, like, 10, 15 years ago, and she was working a lot in the US. So he knew the Spanish market, he knew the American market, uh, and she he got married to a Brazilian who happened to work at BCG too. And then he moved to Brazil, and when he arrived there, he realized, oh my gosh, what's happening here? Why we have this like huge, so high interest rate, and compared to Spain or the U.S. is like completely different. And then he started thinking, okay, I, I think I can enter this market and help um, people having better products. So actually, Credita started as a bank fácil, uh, which is East Bank in Portuguese in 2012. And it took five years to decide to pivot a little bit and go from... So they first started as... Um, it's a platform to compare different loans because the first mm -hmm. thing he realized, okay, the first thing I need to do is show people that they, they can have better um, loans, different types of loans. So if I do a platform where people can compare, they can like realize the difference between getting a better and a worse loan. And then in 2017, creditors realized, okay, we can actually start building a product and giving, like incentivizing the sale the sale of this product and took a while to become what Creditors is now. But in the beginning, Creditors was basically a middleman. So mm -hmm. they were between like people and the banks, some banks, like small banks that wanted to offer these secret loans. Mm -hmm. And of course, the business model was banks would pay a fee, etc. What's quite interesting about that is even though we like Creditors didn't have a lot of flexibility of choosing how much they could loan, etc. The impact was huge. Mm -hmm. And there was one big important piece of that, which is education. As I mentioned earlier, I think financial education in Brazil was a big problem. So creditors not only was trying to sell another product, they were trying to help people. So they started hiring a lot of people, like sales consultants. People would just fill out a simple form decide and these consultants would call these customers and explain okay you're probably have worse uh, loan ever and we are here offering you and this was a quite a challenge for creditors mm -hmm. because most people as i mentioned before was like 
whoa, this is kind of sketchy. Why people are offering me this way better product just if I use my car yeah. or my home? Yeah. So how did the, how did Creditas manage to convince its customer to cross that barrier and essentially become comfortable with it? So you're talking about an uh, education program. So mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more about what did that entail? Yeah, sure. So I. I I think the first piece of that is the human approach. Mm -hmm. So even though we wanted to use technology, we knew that the human aspect of this was very important. So instead of starting a company, providing a digital like end-to-end -end experience, mm -hmm. we started with a, a company that, okay, you can see some like some benefits in this, this website and then someone is going to call you and explain. And I think one of the main aspects of this call is that people were very they were really well trained so there was like um, a culture of let's train our consultants to be the best advisors so we were not trying to sell we were just trying to figure out what's happening with our customers and how can we help how can we make our product fit their lives on the side creditors was trying to develop some problems to focus on especially people that live in like worse places in Sao Paulo to understand how they should be on top of their financial mm -hmm. life, etc. So there were some problems and now they, they have one thing that's called Creators Academy. Okay. So it's basically a training that all consultants need to go through for I think three months. Okay. They're really trained people not to be a salesperson but be a divider. So I'm talking to you not because I want to push my product, but because I want to understand you. And this, I think, was really, really important for business success. Yeah, I think that's, that's very interesting. And that kind of relates to the whole point of how being very human-centered in this process is probably very important, especially when you're pushing against such a cultural norm where people have essentially uh, are not very used to the idea of using personal yeah. property as a means of securing a better uh, interest rate on a loan. Talk to me a little bit about the product itself and what is the kind of the terms of the loans that you operate typically and what is the size of the loans that you operate? And is it is there a particular target that you have in mind in terms of a segment of the population that you're looking at it with? Mm -hmm. Awesome, great question. I think we had two main products. Now they have a lot of products, but mm -hmm. uh, in the beginning, we had auto equity and home equity. And the main difference between both were the type of customers. So in the first one, auto in general were people that they had like problems with their loan. So they want to refinance mm -hmm. their loan and they have a car and they were looking for a small amount mm -hmm. of that. So because in general you can uh, offer a loan LTV loan to value so you can offer a loan that's some uh, percentage of the value of your asset okay. in the case the car is like way lower than a house and and so we are focused on people mostly trying to basically soak their financial life so mm -hmm. they would change from a in general personal loan that has interest rate of six percent per okay. month to creditors, which back at the time had 1.8%, wow. which yeah. is huge. So they would pay like a smaller installment, had a lot of, have a lot of money, like free mm -hmm. money to use. And also another aspect that was really important was the time to pay. In mm -hmm. general, Brazil, personal loans would last for three years, okay. tops five, four mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. um, in creditors, it starts with 
12 months if you want and okay. goes up to five years mm -hmm. for cars but for a home you can pay a loan for like 15 years Absolutely. which is something completely new and talking a little bit more about the home equity um i think still we had a lot of people that were in financial distress and need money mm -hmm. but also there were a lot of people they were uh, smb small business owner and they want to expand their business so mm -hmm. they open a store in the countryside and realize okay there's opportunity here i want you to open under two three stores and in general they had a lot of debt so banks didn't want to give more debt to them mm -hmm. and they realized okay if i go to creditors i can have huge debt because if my house worth three hundred thousand yeah. dollars you can have at least fifty percent so mm -hmm. it's a way bigger lower loan yeah. compared to what yeah. the bank were offering sounds very interesting kind of probing a little bit deeper on that similar to kind of the u.s market where there is this whole credit rating mechanism does mm. brazil have anything similar or did you have to build your own custom credit rating models yes definitely and this is one inter interesting piece of that because I was I was a product manager and uh, taking care of the growth mm -hmm. of the company. So really top of the funnel. And the thing is, it's very similar to to, to the US. You have a score and, and goes to zero to 1,000. If I have 1,000, you are like a A1 client, so you're the best. So the main problem, I think, with this score, and that's very uh, related to the financial education piece, is that every time that you go quote a loan, your score is going to decrease. So if I ask creditors, um, check my profile and see what is my interest, like what is my rate you're going to give me, they're going to decrease your loan. So what happened? What happens with a lot of people is they go check a lot of place, which is what you expect. Mm -hmm. People should check a lot yeah, of place in the process of discovery. Yeah, you exactly. Like we're just trying and your score would go down 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 and after two months you would have like 300 scores and all oh, the rates would be like the worst possible so we couldn't overcome this in the beginning and also because funds didn't want to offer loans to people with like so low score but after a couple of years we started realizing okay this is a system that works but we need to have something else so we start creating some flexibility in the process and bring like the customer inside the funeral and then you start trying to understand how can we help them even though sometimes they had a bad score they could be able to pay and have a mm -hmm. little yeah. bit better yeah. uh, rate okay that's great to hear now uh, you said you mentioned you were a product manager uh, for this particular role at Creditas. tell us a little bit more about what did you focus on you said you focused on growth yeah so talk to us about what did you do in that role? What were the opportunities and challenges you faced? So before that, when I entered, I was in charge of two squads. So first was growth, was a really like small squad with only two developers. And this maybe it's something related to the future of the company at the time. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that later. Mm -hmm. And I was also in charge of this squad focused on affiliates platform. So we had a platform for people that would, we had our cons like internal consultants, but we also had some people that would go in the field and sell, and they would charge like 5% of us, or mm -hmm. I don't the numbers, and they're gonna help us bring more people to creditors. I think the main problem with both squads is first, almost all, all, almost all of our growth came from advertising, so market, digital mm -hmm. market. 
we started like doing a lot of digital marketing, Facebook, LinkedIn, etc. And the main problem with that is that you are bringing people that maybe not qualify for us because they don't have an asset. Okay. So I think the, the most challenging part for me being like a product manager in the growth is because it was just after marketing. So marketing would bring me customers, but also it was before the sales, before the funeral. Mm. So the thing is, if I open the, the funeral and start like bringing more people because I don't know, like my link page now is better because I did some modifications, etc. The problem that I realized very quickly is, okay, I'm converting now. Like I, I remember I went from 60% conversion in the link page to 70% mm -hmm. with some change we have done. And the main problem is now we are letting people that are not like the best customer mm -hmm. for us. So the conversion in the later stages of the funeral were way worse. Mm -hmm. So we started, oh, okay, we need to find the right balance yeah. to see that conversion in the beginning of the funnel is not going to impact the conversion into mm -hmm. which was really, really hard because we had completely different incentives. Yeah. So if you look like marketing, they are just trying to bring more people, salespeople, they're trying to close deals. So they like, or you're trying to bring a lot of people, but I cannot serve. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, startup is great. Typical so. operational pipeline. Exactly. <laughs> At the same time, we're growing. I, I, I entered, I created this. There were, I think, almost 300 people. Now, two years later, we have 1.5 thousand people. When I left, uh, there were 700 people. So it's growing a lot, a lot of operational issues, a lot of conflicts with techn between technology and operational. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the most, the biggest challenge we had there was to how to balance all this world and at the same time focus on the better experience for mm -hmm. the customer, which was our main focus. Yeah. And if you could talk to us a little bit about what you think was like the biggest kind of learning or maybe an achievement that you had out of that experience for our listeners, that would be great. Yeah. So first, I know like product manager, he, he or she is in the intersection of business, technology and design. And I always love design. I really love technology and I had a business background after McKinsey. But I realized that the most important aspect of a product manager is the person itself. Mm -hmm. So how you deal, because sometimes you're going to develop something after two months and it's going to fail, even though you try to reduce all the risks because there was something hidden that you haven't seen. And like the team morale, morale is, going, is going down. There's so many pressures from different stakeholders. The main job of product manager is to deal with this. But I realized that for me, the most like important piece of learning is that being in the middle of everything doesn't mean you know everything. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, even though you need to take a decision, you need to really know, okay, I'm going to make some mistakes. I need to be prepared to that. And I need to make everyone comfortable with that. Otherwise, every time that you do some mistakes or you somehow fail, people will be like completely negatively impact and this really impact everything. Mm -hmm. So for example, between I starting and uh, my friend who was replacing, there was a one month gap between us. So when I joined Creditus, both of my squads, they were like feeling like, oh, we don't have anyone to guide us through like this craziness yeah. that is a startup. And I realized that the person piece of the job is the most important. So know how to help. 
And also, just one last thing, is my background technology, I think, really helped me because it was way easier to talk to a developer because sometimes they were saying, oh, this is going to be very difficult. I don't understand why we're doing this, etc. And I could like just let, okay, if you do this in this way, it's going to be better because I have right expertise in this, etc. Yeah, I think what you said is is definitely very insightful, and I think we hear from a lot of success stories as well that it's not just the the actual hard skills that you know, but often it's the soft skills that make a yeah. difference. And even in a startup environment where it's all about the product and it's all about the customer, you need to have happy employees or happy teammates to deliver that quality product to the customer because without them, you can't do anything. So that's great. Thank you for sharing that. I want to take this opportunity to kind of step back from your role and kind of look at the wider uh, secure loan space in Brazil itself and talk and I would like you to talk us through what what do you see some as, as some of the challenges and opportunities in this space and what are some of the micro macroeconomic drivers that are leading Brazil towards this particular path first people are not used to so I think the biggest challenge is to convince people not only I think convince people but at least quick awareness like buzz about that otherwise people you wouldn't not even reach these people also another challenge is that in the beginning we were thinking our our main customers are people that have a little bit of money they are in the digital economy so they use smartphone etc and actually i think the most the people that we can help the most are people that are not used to technology. Mm -hmm. So this is a real, like a real challenge because we need to figure out how to use technology to use people that are not used to mm -hmm. technology. And, uh, but on the other hand, I think we have a great opportunity here because first, the market for second loans is ridiculously big. Mm -hmm. Because like in Brazil, as I said before, people used to have a milestone in their lives. I need to buy a car. Mm -hmm. I need to buy a house, etc. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have properties have assets that they can use they can leverage to have better loans so i think if you can overcome this challenge the opportunity is huge and also i think for example creditors we started first as a middleman but now we are we have like a, a bank license because the government now create a type of bank license for fintechs mm -hmm. where you can offer some type of products, etc., and you don't face that much regulation. Okay. So I think there's a huge opportunity for companies just start verticalizing and being like the first of doing something different in this space. Also financial institutions, they used to have, I mean, Brazil, the technology financial institutions are really good, but even though I think it's way slower compared mm -hmm. to startups. Absolutely. That's great. So it looks like from the three C's of marketing perspective, you've talked about the customer, we have talked about the company, which is creditors in this case. And now I think it's a great time to talk about the competition. So how do you think the traditional financial institution is responding to the challenge that creditors is posing? Definitely. A really good question. I think first thing is that startups in general, not only creditors, new bank, for example, which is a digital bank in Brazil, they used to just think that, okay, we're startups, we're really fast. And if you see right now, actually, banks are not only like realize, okay, because banks used to think like startups, do this, uh, they're just too small. I'm, yeah. I'm the biggest bank in Brazil. Yeah. And I'm not facing competition mm -hmm. from them. But if you see like, for example, new bank, now it's worth $10 billion. Mm -hmm. It's almost like one fourth of Itaú, yeah. which is like the biggest bank in Latin America. So... I think now not only startups are competing more aggressively, 
So we have a case of um, a startup called C6 Bank in Brazil, which was founded by ex-bankers from BTG, uh, the biggest investment bank in Brazil. And they started the startup with $300 million, like their personal, personal money. Wow. money. And they created a bank, mm-hmm. really, they created a bank in six months. Mm-hmm. And now after, I think they have the market for two years now, one year and a half after the, the beta. And they're offering almost everything that banks are offering, but in a way better way. But talking about like big banks, now they're definitely entering this competition. For example, in the secret loan space, we didn't have that many competition because all banks, they had like the product, but they didn't offer, they didn't mm-hmm. advertise. And there was another kind of startup bank that was offering home equity. They were like the main competition. But now, for example, Santander in Brazil, they mm-hmm. create another company, mm-hmm. which is like the main like strategy for big banks to just create a small startup within yeah. the company. They create a company that is offering secure loans. Okay. And the CEO of Santander in Brazil, he said, oh, this company is going to compete against us. We don't care because if they are offering a better product, et cetera, they're doing their job. So now I think the landscape is changing. Startups are not only competing against them, but also with big banks mm-hmm. that have a lot of money, yeah. funds, expertise. and Absolutely. Okay. And that's great news for the customer because yeah. it's them who's going to benefit from this competition. Definitely. So that's really, really good to know. And you're taking another step back and thinking about the wider opportunities within the Brazilian fintech sector. Where do you see the the biggest opportunities for people who want to take benefit of this? Let's say if someone wants to start or wants to get, join a Brazilian fintech company, where do you see people having the most bang for their buck? I think now the biggest opportunity in Brazil is a payment. Okay. Because in Brazil, I think different from here, people are very used to use credit card. And so people are already used to technology, that, uh, digital banking, etc. But also there, there were like banks not offering the best products for, for customers. So I think now that now it's the time to, okay, we have already disrupted the digital banking space. We are now starting to see a lot of companies entering like loans. So how can I offer better product? But I think there's not much to do after creditors. Um, maybe like doing something like similar to what they're doing. But in the mobile payments mm-hmm. and payments as a whole, there's a huge opportunity. And I'm talking about payments like Umbrella because it would include everything. For example, small business. If you pay using your credit card in Brazil, they need to, they are charged, I think, 4 to 5% processing fee, which is huge. But for example, if you're used in general in Brazil, you get a, a voucher to use to buy food okay. and you have a, a different uh, card to use. If you see like this fee is around 20%, wow. which is much great, higher. Yeah. much higher. So there is, I think there's some opportunities, not exactly like in FinTech, but close to FinTech, okay. for example, employee benef- benefits. Okay. So you're going to offer something that's similar to a FinTech, but you are offering like a better product for another yeah. sector. Yeah, that's very exciting to hear. Um, I think it's, this has been really, really great to understand a little bit more about not just creditors specifically, but also get a better understanding of the fintech and the Brazilian economy, which has spurred these developments. So again, on behalf of our listeners, I would really like to thank you for your time and I hope you had a great evening. Thank you for the invite again, Shub. Really nice to talk to you.
We hope you enjoyed today's chat with Gex. If you would like to learn more about fintech at Kellogg, you can reach us directly at our Facebook or Instagram page. If you liked what you heard today, please remember to rate us and remember to click on the subscribe button in iTunes. That's it for now. Thank you for listening. Until next time.